I think right now things have still been relatively peaceful because a lot of Trump supporters have not come to the realization that he has lost. Take a little break from the crazy, try to recalibrate. Every day seem to be hazy, I see though. Everybody's sick with obsession, it's how to navigate. Take your baggage out of my space, I need room. Reset. New world order. Reset. New world order. We are live. And I'm very excited. I wish you could see my face. I can't, I can't even contain my excitement. My name is JP Reynolds. This is the Stir Crazy Podcast. I'm your host. I have been talking to some of my very brilliant, very powerful, dynamic friends about this crazy, uncertain, transforming world we got here in 2020 and beyond. And tonight I have a very, very special guest, a dear friend of mine. Like, not for real, like, dear friend, like, uh, like she was in our wedding. Like this is, you know what I'm saying? This is like, a, this is the homie. Tonight I have Myra Macias. Yes, Myra. I call her Myra Sita. Been calling her that for almost 15 <laughs> years now. <laughs> Wild. <laughs> <laughs> Myra is Chicago native. Myra is a storyteller and a political operative. Currently the executive director, right? Executive director of Latino Victory. And really making things work, making things move. I am beyond proud of Myra. And we're going to talk that talk. We're going to talk that talk. Obviously, the election in, is in our, our rear view. And that is some of what, well, that's a lot of what Myra is, is a part of. And she makes magic happen on the, in the underbelly and in the trenches. And we're going to talk some talk about that. But first of all, Myra, how are you? Where are you? Have you been drinking water? This has been a crazy week, I'm sure. <laughs> What's going on? Friend. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I am back in Washington, D.C., where I live. I was in Florida the last uh, week and a half of the election and uh, was in Miami when we found out we had a president. Um, yeah. So I'm I'm back. I've been I've been trying to drink water. I've also probably been drinking way too much uh, alcohol. <laughs> um, not, not not sleeping enough. But uh, as you said, the election, which was uh, instead of election, I was an election week. It felt yeah. is behind us almost. Um, <laughs> I'm just I'm excited that uh, many of us can can sigh. I mean, can 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 just feel this like weight off our shoulders because we have a new president, a president elect uh, who yeah. is going to get this country back on track. Yeah. And you've been doing a lot of work. I know that this is like the busiest time of year for you. Are you still in celebration mode? What's, what's the, what's the verdict here? Uh, it's, it's, it's a in between um, because it wasn't on election night. Mm. I feel like the, I haven't been able to rest, right? Because I kept waking up, checking my phone, seeing if we had called any of the other states right. to figure out uh, whether or not we had a new president. But also our organization, Latino Victory, supports progressive Latino candidates. There are still a ton of candidates whose races haven't been called. Yeah. So I can't fully decompress because we're still um, analyzing races. Uh, we're still working. We're making sure that, that where there are recounts 
you know, that we have folks that are vigilant and, and so it's like this in between of like kind of celebrated over the weekend a little bit, but we're still, you know, not really past this, this hump um, in our electoral history. Mm. So not, not fully in celebratory mode. Yeah, that's real. I feel like a lot of folks are operating or kind of existing in that, like in between space, even voters, right? I think a lot of citizens are in this in between space. Obviously the, the sitting president, uh, <laughs> the sitting president still has not conceded at least right. to this conversation. So it doesn't sound like he plans on it, which is why I'm like, well, it's behind us. But until, until Joe Biden is in the white house, yeah, so we cannot take anything for granted. Yeah, you know, and it's I want to I want to talk to you about some of what you think about a lot. I want to I'm going to pick your brain a little bit and I'm grateful again we found some time for us to have a conversation. Cuz you know, we're in a weird spot, right? Like in terms of where things are, right? The the sitting president is like really just trying to poke holes in the process and for folks who are already disillusioned, this is worse. Folks who are progressive, right? This is like not helping anything. Right. Uh and I'm curious about what you think about kind of just like the state of our democracy, right? I mean, this is, that's a huge like dissertation, dissertation length question, right. but I, you know, that's something I feel like is like super highly at stake right now. Yeah. I mean, I think part of why many of us still can't celebrate is because this president isn't going to go out without a fight. You know, we had, um, Mike Pompeo, what was it yesterday or two Mm. days ago, saying that they were getting ready for a peaceful transition into a second term. And what we have seen over the last four years under this administration is that they don't, they don't abide by the truth, right? They Mm. create their own narrative and it's gotten to the point where they have convinced the American people or their base of, of, of voters, their base of supporters that, you know, reputable news outlets are not factual. And so my fear is that they're continuing to sow seeds of doubt about the integrity of this process yeah. with, with pure fabrication, right? Like they're, they're, they're rumors that they make up or, or stories about election fraud um, and, and it doesn't matter that there aren't facts backing that up. Like if they say it long enough, if, if news cover is, if news media is covering it, then the voter who believes in Trump and already believes that the system is set up against him, mm. they're, they're going to take that to heart. And, and my fear isn't so much of like whether or not Trump is going to leave the white house because there are mechanisms in place for that. But yeah what's going to happen in the streets, right? Like what's going to happen yeah. with that base of supporters who does not believe that they have lost. Like, I think right now things have still been relatively peaceful because a lot of Trump supporters have not come to the realization that he has lost. Mm. They're still holding out on these recounts. They're waiting to, like, to see every vote being counted, even though, you know, uh, vice president, well now president elect Joe Biden has Received the electoral votes needed yeah. to be official, you know, well declared president. Um, even while we count the rest of the ballots, like he has won, and I think yeah. that moment when it hits um, a lot of these supporters, a lot of the Trump supporters, that their their president has 
not one reelection, like we're going to see a lot of friction. And that is my concern. Like, what are we doing yeah. um, to start getting our communities, like the resources, information, like how are we combating this or how are we preparing um, for what I think is going to be, you know, inevitable chaos. Yeah. Yeah. It is. And it's, it's just so complex. There's so like, there's so many different things swirling in my head. Just even, even as you're talking, right. Because you mentioned honesty <laughs> and folks just being dishonest, blatant, yeah. blatant lying, distorting truths, have truths, full untruths. You know, I've, I've seen things about like litigation for things that, voting spaces already do or election offices already do right it's like why would you announce this as a new litigation like they already check these things they already do go through confirmations they're already there's already a check on this and it's hard to you know because i one of the things that's hard to talk about is accountability without honesty right because i know some you know different spaces that i'm I'm in and like different conversations i've been having people are looking towards holding Biden accountable, Biden Harris accountable, and right. like the newly elected officials accountable. But it's hard to even get to that point if there's just not a basis or a standard for honesty. And it's been stretched so far. It's been stretched so far. And like you said, it causes this this like system of belief for an entirely different group of people that's really troubling. And I, you know, I think about that a lot. And I'm I'm often curious with folks is like, are we ready for what's gonna come? Because I don't I don't know if we're if we're ready. And, I, uh, you know, in a couple of these conversations I've had, I've, I've talked about civil war and right. the history. The I, didn't, history I didn't want to bring that up, but like, that's, that's what people nah. are saying. Like that, yeah. that is an appropriate description for what I think could happen. Well, you know, my, I, we haven't, like, I want to share with you something that I got from actually from Naomi, my, my wife, Naomi. And this is something we've talked about a lot over the past like year and really last four years. I didn't start using this language until maybe like Charlottesville in 2017. But one of Naomi's from Little Rock, Arkansas, and she would always say to me, you know, the South doesn't think they lost the civil war, the original civil war. Like if you go down to the South, they're still Confederate. They, they don't think they lost. Right. And if you think about that moment with this moment, or even, you know, the moments before, like when Abraham Lincoln was elected, and took office and states were seceding. The Civil War started like right after he got it inaugurated. And it's a similar, you know, I hate talking about it because it's something that is kind of scary, right? Like if you think about it, and then I often will also say like, we're kind of already in Civil War territory. It's just not official, it's not formal. When folks are dying in the streets and folks are, cities are burning and all of that, it's it's wild, isn't it? Or, or like our perception of what Civil War looks like is different right because i think you're absolutely right like we're already in a very divided country a very volatile country and like does does civil war mean what it meant you know in the in like 1860s where people are out in the street fighting one another or a civil war in the in the digital age of, of vastly different experience yeah yeah because it's so digital right i mean right. When you, if you go down people's facebook posts it's like there's a war happening on this on this post man i don't know what's going on here i i'm not like the facebook type but i'm like these these folks is really getting after in these comments i'm like relax you know like this is a different what are we what are we talking about yeah um yeah it's you know the the, the other thing you talked about 
was, you know, getting to the point where we, you know, inaugurate a new president-elect. And one of the things that I'm also curious about to pick your brain about a little bit is like how we hold folks accountable, right? Like literally like processes, the mentality, the mindset, because, you know, if we, if we place our focus on, which I think you do, and you do this well, right? You, you are focused on getting folks into office, right? You're focused on mobilizing voters, mobilizing people's voices, mobilizing communities. Once, once we get folks in the right spot, once we get folks to represent us well, now it's a question like, all right, how are we holding these folks accountable? How are we, how are we keeping their foot to the fire to do what we, we said we want them to do? And that's a major concern as well. Yeah, and I think part of it is that most people don't realize the power that voters and constituents have. And mm. before we you know, delve into holding the, the new presidential administration accountable, like just thinking about your local elected officials, a lot of like the, the uh, either like policy agenda or events that they put together or issues that your local elected official will uplift or, or just not touch really depends on constituents. And many of us don't know, like we have the power to pick up the phone and call their offices or um, send an email um, or tweet or, or gather at their offices. And as someone who worked, you know, for a member of Congress and, and got to experience that other side of government, you know, there is a lot of weight placed on on what constituents or how voters are going to feel about something. Yeah. And so I think part of what we, the people need to do better is like, we, you know, the, the process, the like civil or civic process has felt so disjointed. We engage yeah. during election season and then we're not really engaged. Um, and part of that, you know, was like intentional because you know, folks who have been in power, you know, are able to consolidate power by keeping the process like mysterious, mysterious and, and distant. Mm -hmm. But we have, again, we have the ability to reach out to these people, to request town halls, to have meetings. Like you can literally walk into Congress, the halls of Congress and go and, and visit your, your member. And obviously if you didn't set up an appointment, not likely that you'll get a sit down with the member, but someone in that office will sit down and talk to you and listen to your concerns or the issue that you care about. So I think part of what we need to do better is just empower and, and educate the public that, that they have these resources at hand to be able to engage their elected officials. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not just holding them accountable every two years or every four years when they're on the ballot but being present throughout that process of their tenure, especially when they're first elected, like those first, that first year, that first term is yeah. so critical because that's when they're, you know, that's really when they're forming like what it is that they're going to be fighting for advocating for. And that's when um, if you were a volunteer on a campaign, like you have a lot of power, you have a lot of weight because you were there and you were helping that candidate. And even if you weren't a volunteer, if it's someone that you, you know, voted against, like they're still your elected official and you have the ability to um, make demands of your elected officials. And yeah. so unless we're part of that process throughout, you know, there, there really can't be accountability because if you're not monitoring, you're not demanding, you're not asking, then the elected officials are going to assume that 
the way that they're legislating or, or governing um, is in alignment with their districts and what the people want. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious too, like, I'm, you know, I'm trying to imagine things with a lot of folks right now. How do we, how do we reconcile, you know, at once the, the fact that like, you know, it's built a certain way for folks to not have access to knowing this information so right. folks can stay in power. How do we take that and then reconcile that with like educating folks on what the power is? And again, this is like in the context where this has been like a really crazy year where people have been protesting in the streets and yeah. making demands and using social media and organizing and learning and educating themselves. But I'm like, how do we hold those two things? Because yeah. like you said, right, like it's not in the interest of sometimes elected officials or people in power to actually be accessible in that way. And then like who's who's doing the teaching? Who's doing the educating? How do we get access to that? That's the the bridge that we feel. I feel like we got to cross at some point. Well, I, I think to your point about, you know, the, the protests or manifestations in the street like that, that's part of accountability, right? Because. Mm. The only reason that we're talking about climate change, that we're talking about um, uh, social justice, we're talking about police reform, that we're talking about, you know, Black Lives Mattering Mm. at a national level is because of these youth-led, you know, Black-led movements that we cannot escape. Right. If, if young people, if folks that were part of the Sunrise Movement, you know, weren't on the streets and frankly, like in offices in, of elected officials making demands about action on climate change, yeah. we, wouldn't, we wouldn't be talking about climate change in the way that we are. And particularly within the Democratic Party, like it is it is now part of the Democratic Party, you know, platform. It is something so. Mm, yeah like integral to the, the Democratic Party's agenda. Hmm. Uh, you know, the fact that you have the now president-elect making concessions around, like, ending fracking at some point. Hmm. That would never have happened had hmm. these young people, had these um, movements been putting pressure, public pressure, and, and forcing a conversation on the issue. So I yeah. think those tactics can... And, and, and should be employed, um, you know, with this new administration. But I think there are other ways, like that's just one piece of the puzzle, getting, you know, this broader public awareness on these issues. But we can do those things in a, at a smaller scale, right? Like setting up meetings with these offices. Um, when you're talking about accountability on the presidential level, you know, there, there's a lot less access yeah. than you local elected official, but, uh, the, the, I think the tactics remain the same. How are we, when hopefully soon we'll, we'll have, um, you know, town halls and opportunities where the, the, the new administration will get to travel and meet with constituents and, and people all over the country. Like those are opportunities to uplift issues that, that we care about. Um, and that we feel should be centered. And I'll give you an example, again, just like the work that already has happened to make sure that this administration is being held accountable. In a lot of the immigrant rights movement was was really not supporting Vice President Biden, right? Mm. In part because of his association with 
the Obama administration and during the Obama administration, there were a lot of deportations that occurred. Mm -hmm. Now, part of like their advocacy, you know, was really bringing the issue to the forefront and, and allies like our organization and other Latino led groups and other groups that, that care about immigration have brought this issue to the forefront when have, when they have opportunities to talk to either, you know, the, the vice president directly or his, um, his team to the point where even though immigration wasn't a topic of conversation as much in the general as it was in 2016, you know, the, the vice president made a commitment to um, introduce legislation in the first hundred days of his administration. And beyond that, he made a, a promise that there would be a, a moratorium on deportations so that people uh, hmm. like the current administration is not allowing folks who have a legal right to ask for asylum to even enter the country. Like there is no, hmm. you know how people talk about you have to come here the right way. Like this current yeah. administration isn't even allowing for the right way to um, exist because they're not allowing people that have a legal right to claim or ask for asylum to even enter. And so mm. these are the things that would not have happened without, again, that advocacy, without some of these like more direct, like civil disobedience tactics, yeah. but also like building coalitions and having allies that, mm. that have access to the administration or have access to the Biden campaign and are bringing up these demands. Yeah. So I do think that like, it is a combination of folks being out in the streets, being visible, continuing to put that public pressure, but also building coalitions, um, you know, with folks who are, who are on the inside, who can bring up these issues, who can point to these very specific movements and say like, we need to do X, Y, and Z, because these are the demands that, you know, folks on the streets have been bringing up. Yeah. Yeah. It's, there's a lot of, momentum towards keeping that same energy, right? That's the, that's what I've been hearing from a lot of folks. And that's the, then, then it'll be necessary going forward, especially with, you know, folks who are, are, are more aligned with progressive uh, values and, and, and agendas than obviously folks currently in, in power in office. But, you know, you mentioned something that, that made me think, right? You said that the president is less accessible and you point towards, you, I think you rightly, rightly point towards like getting more involved in local politics and that makes me think, right, you know, the president is such a huge figure in terms of our political landscape. And I'm always like, yo, why does the president get that much juice, right? Like, from when it comes to we the people, democracy, we have representatives, we have Congress folks, we have senators, we have state legislatures, right? But the president gets all this juice. And, I, and I'm, I'm like, how is it possible? Is it possible, do you think? What do you imagine? for for us you know reducing the weight of the the office of president and i think part of the reason we we hold it in such high esteem is i mean honestly think i think culturally we have like we have a addiction to cults of personality i think we have celebrity addiction (laughs) and part of me laments the fact that that spills over into our political world where we give so much attention to the president when the way for us to be involved is really with like local officials. Right. I'm like, how do we, how do we shift that? How do, what do we do with that? Right. And I think when I say less accessible, like in theory, 
our local elected officials, our, our members of Congress should be those bridges between, you know, everyday people who are not elected and the president. Like they're the people that have that, that direct line of access. Right. Right. I think part of, part of what we need to do is ensure that those local elected officials are actually representative of the communities and not right. just folks we elect, you know, year after year because we know the name mm-hmm. and their interests or their policies aren't serving us. Yeah. Uh, and, and secondly, I, I agree with you. I think that even when we think about members of Congress, we, we do have a tendency to, to fall into this cult of personality and then the repercussions of that is that we haven't built a pipeline of leaders, right? Because if all the attention is on the president um, or like, how are we, how are we building up the bench so that when that current president is no longer there, we have people that have recognition across the country or have name ID within their States um, and are respected like I think that that's a very intentional work that needs to happen, and and oftentimes like we don't do that work because we just care about like the star of the show, right? Like yeah. the protagonist. Um, when this is this is a team sport, and we need to make sure that everyone uh, is getting the support that they need, and it doesn't fall on one person. Because what happens, and you know, we saw that Obama left office, yeah. and it, we have to start in a way anew because it, like for so long, like he was, he was our hope. He was like the embodiment of like, so many Americans vision for this country. And when he was no longer in office, yeah, uh, a lot of us like didn't know where to funnel that energy. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and that, you know, that reminds me, you know, what you said about coalition building, right. Where, it's it's strange, like you know, in the history of of at least at least what I recognize is like the history of of civil rights movement or like Black Power movement structures. There've been so many folks and figures who have been so dangerous because they built coalitions, right? So I think about like Chicago, you know, Fred Hampton, and how he got he was so dangerous because he was building like poor white folks and like Mexican folks and Black folks, and he was that's scary to power structures. Or you know, even like the 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 cults of personalities throughout the '60s. And when they're taken out, when they are, you know, quote unquote, neutralized, then that, that diminishes the movement, whole, right. like, whole stop. And, you know, I, you know, I, I feel like a lot of these conversations are usually oriented towards like, all right, what's the, what's the, what's the wrong thing? What could we be doing better about with coalition building? I would love to know from you as a person who's just had a major victory from, you know, being in the trenches and, and organizing and strategizing like what have you seen that is exciting about coalitions being built right now? Yeah. I, I get really excited thinking about young people. Um, mm. I think we're not young anymore. But like, <laughs> <laughs> we still young. What you mean? <laughs> youth, um, so when, when we were coming of age, I, you know, I think that we were ahead of our time in thinking about things in like an intersectional way, mm. but we didn't, have the language for a lot of these things right like i remember the first time uh 
I think I even heard the word inter- intersectional was in college. And like, mm-hmm. this is really like studying, like, this is like race theory classes. Yeah. And, and so a lot of like, you and I are fortunate that we had the space and, and the resources to like put a framework to the way that we were thinking about this new society or this new world. Yeah. And, and it was still like very new. And I think about some of the conversations we were having you know, 10, 15 years ago and how that is just like normal now. That's, that's common. Yeah, that's true. 11 year olds are talking about being intersectional and <laughs> don't look at the world in, I remember getting so frustrated because we would have conversations and it was either like, you're looking at the world from like a race perspective or a gender perspective. And I remember like discovering Audre Lord and being mm-hmm. like, wow, like you can, look at things in like such a multifaceted way that incorporates like race, gender, and sexuality. Like yeah. that was all because I had access to this, this education that not like everyone gets access to. Like this is part of like the lexicon of, of young people. Like they're growing up and identity is, is, is not so like compartmentalized to them. Right. Like mm. they are like queer and, and black and people of color, like it's just like that's who they are, right? Yeah. They didn't, they don't have. They grew up in a in a world where, thankfully, and and I don't know that this is like fully true, but that they weren't segmenting themselves in in the way that we have that we had to. Right. Uh, yeah. Well, I think part of what is so beautiful about growing up with that, a more holistic sense of self is that when they're organizing and building coalitions, it's very intentionally intersectional, right? So you're yeah. not mm. just building, you know, if you're fighting um, for immigration rights, you're not just building a coalition with like Latinos and Asians and, you know, like the, the black diaspora that's affected by immigration, but you're building a broader coalition because you know, the, the way that the immigration system is set up, it is parallel and, and resonates with the way that our, that our um, criminal justice system is set up. So they're building like these broader bridges, mm. even if things don't seem like they align, like there is, I think just like a deeper, or maybe instead of deeper, like it, it, it's like they've taken a step back and are looking at like the roots of problems versus just like, all right, this is an issue and we're going to build a coalition around this issue only to those that it affects. Yeah. Versus like taking a step back and being like, well, the issue here is, I don't know, capitalism or the issue here is white supremacy <laughs> and how are we building broader coalitions? Yeah. Uh, because, you know, white supremacy affects this community, and this right. community, community. And I just don't think that we, and, 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 and no, to no fault of our own, right? Like it's just things evolve and we built on the, on the work of our ancestors and, and this new generation is building upon the work and the language that we have helped formulate. And so yeah. I, I just, I'm really excited because yeah. the organizing um, is just broader. Like the, the tent is bigger. Mm. Uh, you have, you know, you have like the, the kids from Parkland talking about issues that, you know, t- typically don't affect white suburban children and, and vice versa, like giving, giving voice and giving space to 
this the voices that we should be centering in, in movement building, which are like black and brown voices, which are working class voices. So I just think that I could talk about this forever. I think that, uh, yeah, that go for it. <laughs> there's just a lot of hope for me to mm. see the evolution and to, you know, for us to kind of be, as, as we, we started off talking about this in between, we're in between mm. generations and really seeing how I think the work and, and, and the, the cultural production that, that many of our generation created has helped inform the younger generation and is making their power building that much stronger mm. and more sustainable. Yeah. Right. That's the other thing. Like yeah. it's not about building a coalition for this one thing. It's like, how are we building and sustainable power? Yeah. And you know, that's, that's what it was. That's what was crossing my mind as you were talking about the coalition building and I'm wondering about our generation. And I'm like, are we too far gone? Like, is it, is it too late for us? Cause you know, I, um, I think about the, the way that this year has shaped a lot of people's reckoning, especially white folks, right? I'm talking particularly about white folks. I feel like there's been a lot of reckoning. I'm sure we both have classmates who probably reached out or folks who had come to Jesus moments, so to speak, uh, when it comes to race issues or issues about these folks reaching out to oh, you. Oh, listen, yo, listen. I, and it's not just white folks. It's black folks who, you know, believed things about class or privilege to their own benefit, but didn't understand that there was poverty attached to these things or that, you know, white supremacy is like prevalent systematically and systemically. Yeah. So I've had a lot of conversations with folks. And it, the thing about it that, that strikes me is, you know, when something, when you're confronted with something like when you're isolated and you are stuck at home and everybody's watching a video of a person getting, uh, you know, literally killed, murdered on, on your phone by a police officer, you have to confront it. Yeah. Folks, there's a different urgency and you know, white folks was out in droves. Like I, I went to a, I was, <laughs> I, I'm the type of person, like if I see a protest in the streets, I'll just jump in. Right. I'm just like, what they saying? Oh, oh, where, oh I'm, I'm in there. Let me, I'm going to just jump in. Right. <laughs> Don't have to necessarily be the organizer, know the organizer. If a protest is popping up, I'm jumping in. Right. So I was doing, <laughs> I was walking to the, to the bank one day, one Saturday, it was a beautiful day in Harlem and I'm walking down 135th street and I run up on a protest. And it's right in front of the precinct on 135th Street. I'm like, oh, I'm about to hop in this, right? I hear them coming down the street. And as they get closer, I start recognizing who's in the protest, right? And it's like all white people. Now, mind you, we're in Harlem. This is central Harlem. This is, this is still, I mean, it's gentrified, but this is still Harlem. Yeah. And it's all white people. And I was just like, oh, shoot. Okay, I think they may got this one. I think I can just keep on going with my days. I'm going to just keep enjoying my day. I don't have to do this today, right? And that was cool. But then I turn around and I see what the numbers look like and what the data look like for who voted for who. And, you know, and I'm just like, but are they keeping that same energy? How is it right. becoming sustainable? How was that urgency being sustained? Because at the end of the day, right, some of us can choose to not pay attention to this anymore. Yeah. And I think you're right with the generation that's coming up. Gen Z, as I think a lot of folks call them. I think Gen Z, I think, they, I think they built different, number one. I think maybe they were radicalized because they were, their, their college or their 
high school career was bookended by by tragedy, right? Like if you're the class of 2020, like I have a student, you you've had students, right? I've had a, I had a student who was class of 2020, freshman year, hysterically cry, the beginning of freshman year, Donald Trump is elected president. The end of senior year, we have a pandemic. They can't even graduate normally, right? It's literally bookended by tragedy. So they are radicalized differently. They've been forced to be a little bit more empathetic to their neighbor because they realize how intertwined their issues are. So they've been shaped different and molded differently, which is like that, that actually does kind of give us some hope for how they perceive the world. And it gives a lot of energy to folks like us. But I think about folks in our generation and I'm like, are y'all going to get it for real? Or is this just like cute for the moment? Is this like a thing that you know, it's cool to post a blackout image on June 6th or whatever it was and, you know, post your R.G. Lord and James Baldwin quote. And then in two Wednesdays, in two Wednesdays, you back to the bullshit. You know what I'm saying? Like, what, what, we, what are we talking about? You know, at, so I, <laughs> I wanted to stay on the hope theme, but, <laughs> but, I'm, but I'm back to this, I'm back to this, like, what y'all doing? That's super real. Um, and I think about even just like our experience at Yale, like the, the, well, I don't even know the, the, the cohort that graduated maybe like four or five years ago, or that were in school four or five years ago, mm-hmm. um, that their whole experience at Yale was marked, um, by, by activism. Like the whole, mm-hmm. whole I don't know. No, you weren't in, you were already in New York, but that whole group that like, really pressured the university to change Calhoun, right? Like, like I think about even, even that group, like I don't see that happening (laughs) with our cohort of, of Yale students of color. Um, And I do think that there were a handful of folks that, that were uh, much more radical, but it, it feels like that generation, like it was across the board. Well, we were called crazy then, right? Like we were, we were crazy if we brought up issues of. Oh, yeah, I mean, of, it was like it was a lone voice in in a sea of of people who, you know, like why are you inconveniencing me over this thing when? Yeah. You know, you, we we should all be grateful that we're here at a top tier university that yeah. builds leaders. So I I think that is that is spot on. Like your assessment of like this this cohort this younger generation has been and even before the donald trump thing like we have had mass shooting after mass shooting after mass shooting that Mm. has really made young made children grow up like Mm. i I go back to the like parkland students because Mm. it just reminds me so much of sandy hook right like this suburban um like predominantly white community and and all of the, the, the young people whose innocence was completely destroyed and they were forced to grow up. But like a lot, mm. all of the activism that has also come from that. Um, and not just like for the Parkland students, but like across the country, how many young people were mobilized seeing. Yeah. And again, like in part because of like the digital age we live in, but like, there were like videos on Snapchat and Instagram that students were posting like in the classroom as like their colleague or their classmate or their, their teacher died. Like those mm. images you can't unsee. Yeah. And so I do think that like we have let 
young people down. Like they have had to contend with real tragedy in a way that um, generations before, you know, have not or could have avoided just because again, like we live in a digital age, you're watching people on screen die before your eyes. Like it's, like it's not like, Oh, you know, I'm just thinking back to like, like Emmett Till, right? Like mm. if, if you weren't, if you didn't, weren't there, you didn't go up and, and see the casket, like you, you could very easily avoid that. Mm-hmm. But like now if it's everywhere online, how do you, how do you just remain ignorant? What do you, what do you think that's doing to us too? Right? Like I, I'm, I'm torn on the, the, the viral sharing of, I call it like trauma porn. And usually it's like, and usually it's like black trauma porn. It's like, I'm not trying to watch people dying on camera no more. I'm not trying to do that. But also it, that mobilize, I realize the power that, that that has to mobilize folks. And I, but I'm also just like, what is that doing to us? Yeah. I mean, I think it's, I feel really desensitized and uh, like on Saturday when the presidential election was called, I like spent a good hour and a half just crying Mm. and and I realized when people were asking up, you know, leading up to the election, like, how are you feeling? What are you doing? Like, I think I have felt numb for the last four years. Mm. Like, I, have, I have felt numb in part as a means to survive. Like, I have to do this work yeah. regardless of who wins. Like, if Donald Trump mm. had won, like, I'm still going to be doing this work. And in order for me to be able to get up every day and encourage people to run for office and 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 believe that there is a new world that we can build. Like I cannot mm. allow myself to like really grieve, right? Like feel mm. that, feel the, 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 just like the tragedy that we have lived in the last four years. And so I don't mm. even think I realized that I was suppressing all of that until it was called that, you know, Joe Biden won. And I just, I could not like my, if you look at pictures, like my eyes are puffy. I just, cried all day and i realized it was the first time that i allowed myself to just feel yeah because Mm. it's been it's been tragedy after tragedy like watching not just like watching people die but watching you know children in cages um Mm. like hearing how this president has denigrated all types of people it's it's so hard to not be desensitized yeah. And it, I feel like thing after thing keeps happening. And it's almost like, I mean, it definitely is trauma porn, but like, I don't know. Like, it feels like things have to get worse for, for us to feel because we're so used to like bad things happening. And yeah. I, for me, I remember it was like the El Paso shooting that happened a year ago. Oh, man. And this is also like, I mean, we had seen the shooting in, in South Carolina, like shooting after mass shooting, um, targeting people of color. And I think the El Paso one was like, again, one of those few moments where I allowed myself to feel. Mm. And it was just, I mean, it, it's, it's heart-wrenching. So I, I know that I have been very numb the last four years. And I don't know like how, to your question, I don't know how helpful it is to constantly be bombarded by these images of people dying or people like children in cages or folks being, you know, literally persecuted. Mm. 
but I do, you know, I do also know or, or, or presume that in the, in the, like in the inverse of me not feeling and being desensitized, like, does that trigger folks who aren't paying attention to suddenly like care or be compelled yeah. to have empathy? And like, mm. what are, you know, what are the pros and cons? Like, is it worth com- entire communities that don't need to see these images who already know, like our communities are hurting to constantly have to, you know, be yeah. um, inundated with these images. Like what does that do? I've been reading a lot of James Baldwin and thinking about mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. like trauma, like the embodied trauma yeah. Like, yeah. What does that do to us. And it's almost like, you know, what is the, what is the cost of building coalitions? Right. Right. It's like, if it, if it takes me going through this repetition of, of images to get folks to see what's happening, is it worth that? You know, like it's, that's the thing that's so troubling about it. And it, and it, I think it really drains us spiritually. And I, I don't know that we think about it enough, you know, as I think as a human community uh, yeah. and as a society, I, you know, it, it's something that troubles me, you know, often just like how much we consume, how much trauma we consume and what that does to our, our psyches, our spirits, our hearts, you know? And like you said, like you were holding it in for years. And I think a lot of, a lot of folks have been holding it in because honestly, that's like survival. That's like a survival tactic. You can't let yourself be bogged down by like the pain or despair. And so unfortunately, Mm -hmm we don't have the privilege of just a feeling in the moment. Many of us don't. Um, mm. And I think for me, I also realized like, I think part of my, like I didn't allow myself to feel hope around Joe Biden winning mm. because I didn't want to be let down by this yeah. country. Mm. Right? And, and so it was like this, like you said, it's survival. It's like this work has to get done. If we win or lose, like we, there are still people hurting. We have to figure out how to best um, serve others. And I don't want to be like crushed if if the majority of the country votes for a racist white supremacist who doesn't care about people like us. Mm. Um, so I think that's also part of like the the feeling numb is just. I didn't like you. I didn't want to feel the pain or the hope, right? Like I just, I know mm. that I had to keep going regardless. So, yeah, it didn't give myself the the luxury of feeling, which is not the way that anyone should. Be. <laughs> Correct. We should. We shouldn't have to to do that. We shouldn't have to resort to just shrinking ourselves to the point where we don't feel anymore right. for the purposes of surviving. Right. I mean, that's the that's the thing that's so wild about this period of time. Is that, you know, <laughs> when I watch, like I watched some old Obama clips the other night. I'm just like, hey, I remember when the president like was articulate and like, you know, intelligent. Even if, even if I can still criticize Obama for, you know, I mean, immigration things, deportation things, for bombing countries in the Middle East. I'm like, but the presentation was different. It felt a little different, right? And, or even like when the VP debate happened and I was just like, oh, this is what, normal politics, which is frayed with issues, right? Like there's still, there's still dishonest. There's still, you know, problems with the agenda still, but I'm like, but it, there's a sense of civility here, right? That, and that's how, that's how debased it has gotten where it's like, we're just hoping for what's normal again, even though normal is not 
it's still not the, what we want all the way, but it's like, we just want to get back to that at least base level of where people speak to each other with decency and don't just spew hateful rhetoric at every opportune moment. Um, But there's like always work to do. It's always work to do. Mm -hmm. And I'm hoping that we, you know, keep the same energy that we have in terms of coalition building. And like you said, I, I'm definitely hopeful for future generations who have a different, type of urgency because these are like, as you mentioned, they've got, they've seen tragedy differently than we have. I hadn't, I hadn't even thought about it like that. I think somebody else mentioned, I was talking to Kevin Beckford uh, the day that the results were, were now shout out to Kevin Beckford. I got to get him on this podcast, but we were talking, we were just like out on St. Nick park, just like being ridiculous in the streets. Uh, Person. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's the homie. But we were talking about just how, also, these are these are a group of folks who was who were born after nine eleven, and I hadn't mm-hmm. thought about that. I said, "Oh wow, they were born after nine eleven. Like, okay, they don't know what it's like to go to the airport and for somebody to be able to go with you and say see you off at the gate. Like, they don't know that. And not have to take off your shoes. Yeah, it's crazy. So there's a, there's a lot there's a lot going on. There's a lot of work to do. You are a person who's doing the work, and I'm incredibly proud of you for real. And Again, I am very grateful that you were able to spend some time with me tonight. I was being very ambitious <laughs> for getting you on this fuck. We just, we assumed that the election would be called at some point after Tuesday. We didn't realize it would take this long. <laughs> and they still, they still dragging it out. I don't, you know, I, I was going to, yeah, I was going to ask you about the la- this lame duck period and transition and like what the energy around that is. Because, I mean, we mentioned that like you you very wisely mentioned that you feel that you know supporters of the the sitting president have not been activated in the streets yet because they haven't come to grips with the fact that it's over right so i you know remaining vigilant is key <laughs> yeah well and i also i think uh in to to dovetail into some some optimism Yes, please. I, I do think that uh, already this new administration put together a COVID task force. Like I feel safer already. <laughs> the, the transition team um, for the agencies was just announced, and it's a group of people who are basically going to review the current state of various agencies and make recommendations for, yeah. like expanding or really like rebuilding because let's be real a lot of a lot of the work that was done into the obama administration completely obliterated agencies you know destroyed or yeah um money was cut so there's a lot of work like you know this is just the beginning a lot of folks in the organizing and and movement building world saying you know november november 3rd is just the beginning right because now is when you know we're we're rebuilding and we're putting forth the issues that we care about as a community. Um, and the, some of the bright spots for me, this election cycle, and really over the last, I would say two, two years, um, the number of people that have stepped up to run for office that never before would have thought about it in part, because someone like Trump who was, you know, inexperienced, had no real qualifications to run for president did it and won like, Mm. I think the the unintended 
consequence mm. for him is that it inspired so many women. It inspired mm. so many people of color, so many young people, um, so many, so many historic firsts uh, within all these communities within the LGBT community. community. Yeah. Um, so I'm very hopeful beyond like this new administration that there's so many new elected officials in public service who are going to continue um, to push the conversation forward and to center voices that didn't have uh, the space before because we weren't at the table. Mm-hmm. There are so many like amazing, amazing candidates that have won um, young candidates that are, that understand, you know, what like your everyday American is going through. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm really excited to see how, not just at the national level conversation shift, but how at the local level, you know, more progressive policies are being put forth because we have these voices at the table. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, you mentioned being hopeful, being optimistic, being excited. I do want to ask you, you know, this has been obviously a really stressful week. It's been an incredibly trying four years. You talked about letting all out on, on Saturday when the announcement came down from the networks that Joe Biden was, you know, going to become the president elect. I'm curious to know how you are experiencing joy these days. Um, honestly, just making time to, to like be a person and hang out with my friends that I've neglected. Mm. Um, I went and got my nails done today. I had hey. done my nails. <laughs> Um, just allowing myself to be a person. I started reading again. Yes. I think for me, it's, I, I have felt like I've been in, in like almost like robot mode, like working nonstop that I'm allowing myself to, to be tired, to sleep in, um, to do, to experience life like as a, a, a normal person and not be dictated by work all the time. Yeah. which is really hard for me. Um, but beyond that, I think I'm also, I'm a, I'm a people person. So I get, I get joy from like seeing other people experience joy. And one of the things I've been reflecting on a lot this week, especially um, with, you know, like being profiled on the Yale alumni magazine is just the, like when you're in the grind, you don't take a step back and realize like, the impact of your work mm. and I think for so much of the work that I do, which is ensuring that there's representation in politics, um, like my, like very being in these spaces is, is transformative. Mm. Right. Like, and I, I don't think about that because you're, I'm in it and I'm working and I'm pushing and I'm not sleeping. But I had this moment um, on Saturday when an organizer like reached out to me. I, you know, an organizer I never met reached out to me and DM me and and asked me something and said like, I don't know how to say this, but a lot of us really look up to you. And mm. having that moment of like, I like I'm very unapologetically me, and and when I feel like I need to voice something, I do it. Yeah. But how that affects other like affects other people and how like someone just being themselves like unapologetically themselves in spaces where people like us typically don't exist mm-hmm. how powerful that is and th- that has been filling my cup thinking about how you know just 
existing in these spaces mm. has empowered other people to see themselves and to, and to envision a career in this. I think mm. it has given me a lot of joy and affirmation mm. for the last four years. <laughs> it's worth it. It's right. worth it, Marta. It's worth it. Exactly. Oh, man. How lovely it has been to have you and to talk to you and to see you on Zoom. <laughs> I love this. Post-election analysis. We didn't even have, we didn't even talk about the numbers, which I was like, all right, here oh, we yeah. go. No, no, no. Yeah, it's, it's, we're going, we're going deeper, you know, we, the, the numbers, we can, we can, we'll find you on CNN for that. We'll watch you on MSNBC for that, you know? Well, that's like a lot of the conversation is just like the numbers. And I, and I think that this, well, one, thank you for inviting me and two, for creating this space because, you know, numbers tell story and beyond the numbers, like the questions you're asking are the ones that we need to be thinking about moving forward beyond just looking at numbers like how we build the long-term power how are we experiencing joy like no one's asked me that so <laughs> thank you <laughs> no nah, absolutely absolutely we got to have joy i mean you know that's the that's the duality for folks who come from you know black and brown communities people of color you know we've we've always lived in the duality right we've yeah. we've literally held the space of fighting against oppressive power structures while also we be laughing, we be dancing, we be cooking good food. <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? This is, this is what we do. So it's, it is, uh, it is a thing that we're, I think we're often used to, to hold both or to hold the spectrum. Cause it's not just a binary, but to hold the spectrum and we gotta, we gotta, you know, find the joy as much as possible. Cause <laughs> the world didn't give it to us. The world can't take it away. You heard? Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, uh, Marta, again, thank you. And, you know, keep up the good fight. Uh, we see you out here. And, yeah, yo, we're going we gonna to have to connect. The, I would love to see you in real life once, it's all, once all this is over. I know. We miss oh. reunion. There was no reunion this year. It is, uh, it's all good. We'll be in the same space again at some point, I'm sure. We gotta, I got to, I don't know. I would love to come down to where you are. I'd love to meet you in Miami or something. Oh, this is a beautiful weather. I know I was gonna. We go to Miami, or you know, when we have a virtual inauguration, I'll be in DC. <laughs> <laughs> right? Oh my! Is the inauguration gonna be virtual? I think so. I, I didn't even think about that. Just assume that we will still be under some type of restriction, and it's probably not the best example to have, you know, for for our new administration who has fought so hard um, <laughs> for COVID to then. Have a massive party. Have, have a super spreader. Have a super spreader event. Exactly. I didn't. I actually did not even think about the fact that there's going to be a virtual inauguration. Yeah. yeah. Wow. I mean, they haven't said anything. I just. Yeah, just, you, just right, rightfully assuming that it's going to be virtual. Well, you know, I'll see you then, I guess. But otherwise, <laughs> <laughs> thank you for tuning into this episode of Stir Crazy. Don't forget to follow the podcast at Stir Crazy Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. On Twitter, you can find me at Stir Crazy Pod. This is a completely independent venture, so your subscriptions and donations are more than welcome. You can support the podcast at patreon.com slash JP Reynolds or hit the link in the podcast description, anchor.fm slash Stir Crazy Podcast slash support. Thank you. Peace and power to you. See you next Tuesday. Peace and power. True.